0: Hello, and welcome to The Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick, and we are back from vacation. And neither of us, I think, are as sunburned as we expected the other one to be.
1: <laughs> yes, I am barely, and I am also back from a, I think, a five-week vacation that we miscounted. Like, I think we missed a week.
0: We did. Uh, I, I realized that when I ran out of things to post. <laughs> <laughs> we did the math wrong. Which is your thing. So I blame you for that,
1: yeah, I think we I, I mean, dates are not math. Dates are just dates are just confusing,
0: well, yeah. we uh, I hope everyone enjoyed uh, our dead platform summer. We're back and talking about what I assume are living platforms. So let's get into it. with how is the internet this week and also last month
1: i mean the internet to me has come across as quiet
0: is that because you haven't been on it or is that because
1: no no i've been on it but it's 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 i mean i've been distracted i had to get married i had to i wanted to you
0: you had to yeah
1: yeah you had to be there like you didn't have a choice
0: i did have to be there. yeah
1: you were you were there against your will i was like yeah sure then, then you wanted, to, be I wanted yeah. to, yeah. No, it yeah. seemed
0: like a nice time, but yeah. Did you did you look at any content in between that thing that our audience does not care about?
1: mean this is kind of what i mean about the internet i think has been relatively calm like it, i don't feel like there has been like major uh, seismic events that have pulled apart what people think about what's happening
0: there was that girl that was yelling at that guy the <laughs> meme
1: oh yeah i mean that was a fun meme
0: i want to start with that actually because i feel like that meme became content and then became a news cycle so fast and then it was over
1: which, and it would not have become a new, the ones the other way around did not become news cycles in the same, at nearly the same speed.
0: There were so many, like, yeah. so many. In fact, the Washington Post is still publishing explainers about it. It published one yesterday.
1: I don't know. It was a, it was a fun meme. And uh, someone did a really good tweet about it that said, like, it's cool that women get, make, get to make jokes about how nerdy they are and that's allowed now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, yeah, that seems about right. Because there were some really funny ones.
0: There were some really funny ones. There were also a lot of, like, really niche ones, which I found interesting, and so many political ones. Because I think that, like, Democrats in particular are, like, in America really struggling to find, like, a good way into the midterms. So I think a lot of the campaigns were like, that's a meme that's safe for us to, like, turn into a political statement.
1: I just liked every man who tweeted a joke
0: about it. Uh, Yeah, I didn't see a single good one from men. No. Uh, I also, I think if I was a meme... And a politician, even if I liked them, used me without asking. I would sue them.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That that's reasonable.
0: This goes back to a, a little thing that I really care about a lot, which is that uh, the minute that you register to run for office, you should lose access to privately owned social media.
1: Maybe you should just be removed from the internet. Like the, mo- the no, you should be depersoned. Like as soon as you do that, you lose. No, no, that's it. You lose. You lose access to your bank accounts. You lose access yes. to your house. You're just like depersoned. And you have to run from that point.
0: In America, we do have safe harbor laws, which like, you know, decide how much time you can spend on TV and such. And I just think that like we have those. The minute Yeah, the minute you register to run for office, you can't be on social media anymore.
1: I mean, this would this would damage the John Fetterman campaign though.
0: I'm fine with that. I've, I've sort of lost. So I've kind of lost interest because I feel, okay, so this, this moves on to our next topic. And I guess this is a good time to warn our audience that like, this is what we're doing this week. We're catching up. So this is just going to be a big catch up. And then you're just going to have to deal with that. So, okay, let's, let's talk about John Fetterman because I feel like we need to talk about John Fetterman.
1: All right. Let's talk about John Fetterman.
0: Right. So here's the thing with John Fetterman. I was extremely enamored with his campaign. When it first started, I was like, that's very funny. He was doing the uh, the stuff about Dr. Oz being from New Jersey, and he bought a cameo from Snooki, which I thought was very funny, where Snooki was like, we'll welcome you back to New Jersey when you're ready to come back, Dr. Oz, like that kind of stuff. Very good. And I went to school in Long Island, New York, so I'm very familiar with a very specific kind of South Jersey, Pennsylvania asshole personality. I'm very familiar with it. Right. They say Kuel and Dude, and they love Wawa. And they love, I think John Fetterman prefers Sheets. Yeah, there, there's the way, well, you
1: know, it, the more important thing is they have an opinion on Wawa versus Sheets. Right. Doesn't matter which one you like, just you have to have an opinion on.
0: It. The worst food poisoning I ever had from gas station food was from a Wawa Buffalo Chicken sandwich. But I also drank a lot of Four Loco that night, and it's unclear which caused it. I was <laughs> wait, in South wait, Jersey.
1: Wait, should we talk about British Four Loco? <laughs>
0: Oh, we will. We'll get to that. Okay, we've got a lot of catching up to. Okay, so what? Okay, let me let me get through this. So, John Fetterman loves the campaign. I think it's really interesting. It's good. He's aggressive. I like that. He has like some good ideas, and he has some like ideas that I don't think really are ever gonna go anywhere. But like that's fine. You know, one can dream. And he looks like a big man. He's just like a big man. Fun. But the more I've thought about his campaign, the more I'm just like, other Democrats are gonna look at it and take all the wrong lessons from it because they're not total douchebags from Pennsylvania and like those are the only kind of people that can pull that off and if he loses I will become so just like deeply despondent so I guess like what I'm trying to say is like I'm falling out of love with the campaign because I'm becoming terrified he will lose or if he wins produce like a horrible horrible like meme warrior trend to just like spread across the democratic party does that make sense
1: okay on the first half yes but he's doing quite well. So, you know, touch wood. Yeah. On the second half, I mean, I think these people come out, but like, he is a specific guy. And the previous version of that would be uh, AOC. Yes. Who, also, who John Fenwood would not have worked in AOC's district. And AOC would obviously not work in Pennsylvania
0: no so it's very much like
1: the lesson from those two is like you should be a super authentic person to your area and you'll probably do very well which is why all texan politicians wear cowboy hats whenever they can so yeah if we were from boston you would just be you know a loud asshole
0: um (laughs) (laughs) yeah i sure
1: would yeah if you're from california you like i don't drink well it depends which bit of california but but let's say la you're, you're you're drinking a lot of juice and and talking about which which roads you take to your do you talk to the campaign stop? So right. yeah, like there's, uh, that's kind of what they're, what they actually are. But you're also correct that someone will be like, no, no, I should be like a, a Pennsylvania. He's, I mean, he's almost straight edge. I don't know. His, his vibe is, it's kind of all over the place.
0: He is. Okay. There's a lot of overlap culturally with Pennsylvania and Massachusetts for Americans listening. I would almost describe it like Pennsylvania is as if Massachusetts and New Hampshire were the same state. Does that make sense? You have no idea. Yeah, what yeah, I'm no,
1: no, no. That makes that makes sense. I get that.
0: Okay, so like the two halves of Pennsylvania are basically Massachusetts and New Hampshire, but they've combined them into one state. Yeah. So it's kind of like a weird place to be. But the John Fetterman personality type is very specific to like the kind of guy who is now too old to fight you at, like, a South Jersey hardcore show.
1: Well, yeah, because he had, like, a stroke, so.
0: Right, but he has all of the vibe of a guy who used to be able to very easily kick your ass.
1: Yeah, and, like, maybe still could, because he's a giant.
0: But Right. This is going to sound weird, but, like, you look at him, and you're like, I know what you smell like. You smell, like, stale cigarette smoke and, like, pine needles and, like, maybe a bit of motor oil.
1: Right. Probably because he had one of those like air fresheners. And as he got out of the car, he was like, I haven't showered in a few days. I'm going to just like rub this air freshener myself. Yeah,
0: he's he's got that kind of vibe. And this is not to discredit him. I think he's a very interesting candidate. I think he's a very exciting candidate for the Democrats. I think that like when it comes to Democrats, like. He's as like he's as exciting as it kind of gets right now. So I'm very into
1: it. I think there was that was that was a seat that looked really bad and now looks pretty good, which is
0: it does look kind good. of. Remarkable. And Doctor and Oz is doing no favors. Literally before we started recording today, which is Tuesday of this week, Doctor Oz shot back at Fetterman, being like, "Well, maybe if you had eaten a vegetable once in your life, you wouldn't have had a stroke," which <laughs> is just not, I think, a savvy Dude. political move. I just don't think. That's a something you want to bring up. But I don't know. I don't know what the world is like these days when it comes to running as a Republican candidate. I, I am hoping you right. But
1: I mean, this is it, though. Is this a like the per, the sort of person who could beat him would have be a full Trump person who genuinely says that? And then everyone says, this is appalling. And then they double down on it. But Dr. Oz won't. And that's, just, that's right. That'll be the problem.
0: That's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping. So basically what I will say is if Fetterman wins then I can start to worry about like all of the other obnoxious Democrat-centrists that like try to like recreate this. But for right now, I am nervously optimistic, but I am worried. But I, I will be worried until he wins.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair.
0: Do you want to briefly touch on the uh, British Four Loco that you discovered on our break?
1: <sighs> yeah, I mean, for those people who don't know what Four loco was, do you want to describe Four loco And then I'll explain how it arriving 12 years later in the UK is not good.
0: Well, okay. I will say, if anyone listening to this doesn't know what Four Loco is. I
1: mean, today. some of the audience are British, so.
0: Yeah, but I'm just saying you might be listening to the wrong podcast. Four Loco was very big when I was in college because it was a malt alcohol beverage that had caffeine in it. Uh, I think, I, I looked this up once, I believe a can of Four Loco was equivalent to a bottle of wine with four cups of coffee.
1: I mean, I should point out, by the way, that when, when they say malted alcohol, it's beer. That's what you mean by malted alcohol.
0: No, that's, I'm, I'm using a very specific term for alcohol in America. It is a malt liquor. It was malt liquor because it was 14, right, which something.
1: is beer. Right, that's just strong beer. Well,
0: we we refer to it as malt liquor. I'm
1: sure thing. I'm sure you do, but you're you're essentially Anyways, saying that you had a strong beer when you do.
0: That. I my record was six in a 24 hour period, mm. but in my defense, I was young, and. I was going to both Comic-Con and Girl Talk in the same day.
1: <laughs> yeah, that does.
0: So at a certain level, I was like, if I d- stop drinking Four Loko right now, I'll crash. Yeah. So the only way to get through the day is to continually drink Four Loko. And, you know, I survived long enough to run a successful podcast. So there you go.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I I happened to be in New York for like three months at the point where Four Loko was, was legal. And I, I looked this up because I was really curious. And it turns out that, Four Loka was never like a universal product. It had like a, an astonishing variation of both flavors and alcohol content. Like the alcohol content, I ra- think, ranged from 6% to 14%.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Which is like, a, it's a huge range. But the point of this is, is that I was in a shop looking for something else. And I came across a, a, a can of, of dragon soup, which I had never heard of before. But that's the name. It's alcohol. Uh, and this alcohol has... Because Four loco was called Four loco because it had four key ingredients. Alcohol, caffeine, taurine, and guanine. Uh, and this has alcohol, caffeine, taurine, and guanine. And again, went and compared it to the, the, the New York cans. Uh, and the New York cans were slightly larger. There was 700 ml, which I didn't remember either. Uh, like they were big, heavy cans, not, not 500 ml cans, which I thought was interesting. You're looking around for yours.
0: I have one. I have okay. an original one. It has a sign taped to it that says Ryan Broderick's emergency uh, <laughs> Ryan Broderick's emergency for loco. I also registered for loco as a URL on both SoundCloud and Bandcamp. Uh because uh during the pandemic I had dreams of DJing under the name original for loco recipe.
1: Great. Did you taste it? Then no, I haven't I have not bought one. Of course I'm not. No, I'm no, I'm I'm in my 30s.
0: So did you buy it?
1: No, like there were a lot in the shop. They had like nine flavors of it. I'm astonished. But yeah, they're in the US, they changed the the recipe of it uh, and they took out all the caffeine. And comparing this one to the US ones, it's 7.5 percent alcohol, so it's still a lot of alcohol, though not quite as much. It's basically a very strong beer rather than a bottle of wine, but it has more caffeine in. Having checked it, so I see. Yeah, which I'm pretty sure the caffeine was the bad part. Like the caffeine was the, the caffeine
0: problem. was what was killing people. Yeah. Yes.
1: So. Whatever. See, if I've discovered it now, we've probably got about three months until it reaches you know mass market penetration. So Christmas this year, you think
0: you're you think you're three months ahead of trends like that? Still in your thirties? No, no. But I think
1: I think I think like it. But going going from me noticing it in a shop to it being like a hey, there is a weird amount of like chaos happening at midnight in every British street. I think that's about three months away because uh, it's see. that kind of time of like one person drinking and then being like holy shit, and then. Yeah, I think that's like a three month cycle. So basically Christmas this year in the UK um, is gonna be is gonna be is gonna be bad.
0: I wanna swerve back to the world of the Fetterman stuff. Okay. But with the energy that we would have from British Four Loco, <laughs> I wanna talk about Dark Brandon.
1: Okay. What are what are your thoughts on Dark Brandon?
0: What are my thoughts on Dark Brandon? I think it's dumb. And I think it's already over. But what are your thoughts on Dark Brandon from someone outside of uh, the democratic experiment that is America?
1: I think it is... I mean, I think it's very hard to make the case that it is... I mean, it's a forced meme. Ultimately, what it comes down to is it's a forced meme. The Brandon stuff was always a forced meme. Actually, maybe that's what it is. It's a forced meme squared. Like, it was a forced meme, and now it's another forced meme. Interesting. On top of a forced meme, which I think is why it feels so annoying.
0: I have a theory. Tying together a few a few threads, uh, a few of the non-Four Loco threads of this episode. <laughs> the speed at which the media jumped on the screaming girl meme, and the giddiness uh, of the establishment political media talking about Dark Brandon, makes me wonder if we're reaching, like, this moment in which millennials are now old enough to kind of be like desperately feeling around for things they recognize in the same way that like when we were in our early 20s there was like a whole cohort of people in their mid to late 30s who are like desperate for like wholesome easy to digest memes and like now this is happening with like us
1: oh so this is like a kind of a rumor meme but for millennials
0: yeah 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 um, um moomers or something I, I yeah s- like,
1: i see that but i would argue that it's a little bit more gen x
0: well i always forget they exist uh the, sure, but they, i mean they, they are sometimes. out there
1: but I, th- I just think it's like this feels like the obama people like the people who are super into obama and still are they're gen x
0: but aren't those people millennials no i
1: think they're gen x's
0: mm.
1: like obama was elected 14 years ago true so the Average millennials. So you're talking
0: about like the pod like the pod save America guys.
1: Right. They are they are they are like dark Brandon Central. I, I have no they're idea like, if they've ever mentioned it or know about it, but they feel like they would.
0: Like the sad Gen X dad secretly smoking weed in the basement.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's a dark Brandon yeah. guy who's like
0: Dark Brandon guy is like hitting his wax pen secretly, uh in between like tweets where he's like telling like young women in media on Twitter that like they're really cool. He's like that guy. Yeah,
1: exactly. And like, it, <laughs> it it never got better than 2008 for him.
0: Yeah, because that was like the exact moment where you could wear uh, a tight-fitting t-shirt but still with baggy jeans, which is like the perfect, like, like Gen X men loved that look. Whereas
1: now now you have to wear a baggy jeans and and a baggy t-shirt, which is right intolerable.
0: But like, there was that moment where they're like, I'm going to wear like sensible pumas and like <laughs> slightly loose fitting jeans and then like a little t-shirt with like a cartoon cat on it and i'm gonna think that's like the best look and that's just gonna be and i never
1: i never have to think about my clothes again i'm
0: never gonna dress differently from that and i love dark brain memes. yeah that's very possible
1: yeah so i think i think it's a gen i think yeah but that's what i think i think it's a gen x meme and i just if you look at even millennials now like one of the youngest millennials, like 25. Like, it doesn't feel like a 30-year-old meme. It doesn't feel like a 35-year-old most, meme. It feels like... Most
0: people our age, I saw rolling their eyes at it. In fact, like, I, the guys I saw sharing it, like, were mostly people who used to work at, like, Politico. I feel like I feel right. like it was, like, exactly. a lot of, like, those guys. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> and they're like, oh, this thing's they're fun. Like, they're like, oh, a new meme.
1: I love new memes. Yeah, and they understand the context of it because fuck Brandon was such an annoying thing for such a long time. So they're like, "Haha, I know all of the information there is to know about this meme. It's like, yeah, that's because there's not any information.
0: Right, exactly. Like,
1: if you're, if, 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 like, if you're a millennial meme, it's like, uh, you have to know an awful lot of information, but it's broadly like a flat hierarchy of information. Like, all the information is attached to that meme. A Gen Z meme, uh, you have to know 10 years of history, all of which involves, like, some arcane emotional meme that doesn't make any sense to anything else and involves them trying to say they're going to kill themselves a lot. Uh, and then they get to the end and they say something that makes no sense, and you're like, "Okay, that's your meme. Good for you, man. I don't, I don't know."
0: I mean, no, it's like the Gen X memes though are like you have to understand ten years of meme history, and most of it is wrong. <laughs>
1: yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like
0: they love that, which I think right. is super funny.
1: The Boomers don't. The Boomers. That's it. Okay. The Boomers don't know there are layers there. The Gen X know there are layers there, but don't know what they are. Millennials know there are layers there and know what they are. Gen Z. Uh, are aware of layers that, that, that no one else is aware of,
0: right? Right, and like don't care enough to like really deal with it. Which like I'm trying, I'm trying very hard as I'm getting older now to not be the guy who's like, eh, actually, Nyan Cat was created in 2011 and it was originally a pop toy. Like, I don't want to be that guy, but at the same time,
1: I they feel keep like getting the, it wrong.
0: But the guys who were like that to us, right, were doing it about stuff that didn't matter. But now memes were, like, created <laughs> through the U.S. Capitol to, like, be, like, waved in front of people who were being, like, trampled to death. I feel like the stakes are a bit higher now. That's all.
1: <laughs> so when they did it, they were wrong. But now you're doing it. You were right.
0: Right, because the world is so much worse now. That's sure. That's sure, sure, sure. okay. Yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. The the memes are, are more important. The
1: important, the important thing is that when when your when your parents told you that you were gonna get boring and old and not understand what the cool the kids were on about anymore, they were wrong. But when you're saying it, you're right.
0: Okay, hold on. In a good timeline, boring, old, you just fade away into irrelevancy. In a bad timeline, I think I think if I do
1: burnout, you don't fade away.
0: Think about how cool. Wolverine is in the movie Logan. (laughs) Partly, that's because of how fucked up the timeline is. So I'm like Logan, is what I'm saying. I'm like Wolverine and Logan. Sure,
1: yeah, okay. We're like,
0: I'm like the one guy who like knows like what really happened.
1: You weren't even the hero of that movie. The hero of the movie is a little kid,
0: right? But he helps a little kid by fighting another version of himself, which is actually a very profound metaphor.
1: Okay, but that kid, like a few years later, was definitely making jokes about him.
0: Well, if that kid was a Gen Z kid, yeah, yeah, probably, yeah, for sure. Speaking of Boomer memes, you want to talk about like if you love minions?
1: Yeah, I don't even know what this is. So yes, let's talk okay. about this.
0: Yeah, so a uh, friend of us, friend of the show, friend of friend of us, Cameron Wilson, great. Great reporter out of Australia. Cameron came across this. It's super fascinating. This page was responsible for the most, uh, the third most popular post on Facebook in the world oh. earlier this month.
1: Oh, did we miss the um, Facebook chart? Uh,
0: I have not seen it yet. Oh, okay. um, I'm not totally clear. How uh, I, I think I think Cameron used Tangle to figure this out. Oh my god! Uh, but according to Cameron's research, it is run by a former cop turned email marketer from Guyana. Yes, and it uh, it is a, an affiliate marketing scheme for Amazon stuff.
1: Okay, and yeah, the main post on this is a post that has it's a what's uh, the word deep fried meme. Of a minion and the text says, does anyone else have a voice in the head that repeats slap the idiot, slap the idiot? No, just me? Hmm, odd. So yeah, it is a classic minion meme. Very classic.
0: The page is posting three times an hour, or no, I'm sorry, three times every half hour, which is just unbelievable. And it's like doing every trick that we've identified from one of these pages. So it is selling random stuff from dropshipping websites. Mm -hmm. It is like linking to like sketchy, like quote of the day websites. It's sharing basic memes. It's like doing all kinds of engagement bait. It's even interacting in the comments of its own posts. It's so active and it's got, let's see, it has got... Uh, three hundred and fifty-four thousand followers, uh, and it is making some of the most popular content in the world right now.
1: And as of four days ago, they made another page called Minion Memes, which they're now promoting. Great. Yeah, it's so great. great.
0: It's so great. I love this, and I just think that like there's not a really there's not a better distillation of of the current state of Facebook than this. I think this is like the the ultimate form of the of the platform. <laughs>
1: I just The comments on these are so good.
0: Like, Read some. Read some.
1: All right. So there's one that says, being single doesn't mean no one wants you. It means God is still busy writing your love story. And the first comment is just like, love those minions. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is a, a meme that says, admit it. You've pushed it all. That says, pull. First comment. Yes, I have.
0: That's so good. Wait, I got one. So the the meme is, when I find it, I don't need it. When I need it, I can't find it. And Mary writes... That would be me. (laughs) And then Rena writes, The story of my life. (laughs) Then Gene writes, I'm right there with you. (laughs) Oh, it's so good and it's so sad because, like, Facebook... Like, Meta... Like, okay, this is actually a perfect transition into sort of a broader topic, which is that, like, Meta does not care about this website anymore. Like, Meta just has... So did you see the thing about uh, that Axios wrote, kind of like saying that like the the era of the centralized feed was over? Did you see this? Yeah, yeah. So for people who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, at the end of last month, Instagram announced that it would be dropping a bunch of uh, features in the coming months that are going to emulate a TikTok-like experience, and Meta is going to move towards a more artificial intelligence-based recommendation system, kind of moving away from their traditional social graph-based algorithm. And Scott Rosenberg for Axios wrote this really great piece called Sunset of the Social Network, basically arguing that, like, this is it. It's over. Like, Meta has said, like, no more. Like, we're done. And I just think that, like, think about all the great pages. Like, like if you love minion memes, they're going to go away because Facebook is just probably going to slowly disappear. All this great content that we're going to miss, all the women eating out of toilet bowls. It's very sad. It's, I mean,
1: I will say, by the way, that the, uh, women eating out of the toilet bowls thing has made its way into TikTok and is actually doing better than you think there.
0: Yeah, I'm super, so, so the reason I got, I asked about this actually way back when I first did that story. I asked the women eating out of toilet bowls why they weren't just posting their stuff to TikTok and why they were so mad about it getting shared over to TikTok. And it was largely because. TikTok is really bad about monetizing content. So like there was no incentive for them to put their stuff on TikTok because they can't make any money off of it.
1: Yeah, but they do seem to be now doing. It. I've come across a bunch in the last few weeks and I'm like, oh, okay. Which also raises the question of like, okay, when we initially blame the stuff on the algorithms, like what we're actually blaming it on is like, man, people have really got to stop watching this stuff.
0: True. I I mean, the thing is like nothing that was true about facebook isn't true about tiktok it's just heightened right so like the stuff that works on facebook is going to work on tiktok it's just going to work like at a way higher level i think
1: yeah i think that's that's probably true although i do i do also wonder like i I think the tiktok algorithm does reward it, it rewards people people staying to the end of the video like pretty highly uh and i do think those videos are very much built for that and skipping through videos on tiktok is not as easy as it should be it's fiddly broadly speaking so yeah i do think it's, it's interesting that that, that that may be a, a thing there all right did you want to talk any more
0: about that i feel like it's a pretty good segue into andrew tate right
1: yeah uh, yeah okay uh, that's not the only thing that has been happening on tiktok uh recently because another creator has found a huge amount of success on tiktok and that is andrew tate the ex-kickbox kickboxer ex-big-brother uk contestant current misogynist, and (laughs) may have done some crimes, which I'm not going to get into because uh, the man's very litigious.
0: He's accused of human trafficking, and I am saying that from America.
1: I, in the UK, did not hear that.
0: Right. So, one part of the Andrew Tate story, which I think has not been talked about because it's kind of complicated and confusing, is, like, why he suddenly became a thing. So, like, can you kind of explain... Why the Guardian's Observer just, like, suddenly picks topics and makes them a big deal? And then, like, the entirety of UK media just, like, falls in line? Well,
1: I mean, I don't think that's true, broadly speaking. Like, I think, look, okay, I'll explain, to, I'll explain it from, from kind of a media perspective. We're obviously looking at a bunch of different signals from a bunch of different places. Uh, we're looking from social, we're looking from search, and we're looking at being like, hey, what is bubbling up? Right. Uh, and over time, you start to notice things getting more and more and more. Yeah. If you want a vaguely useful example of this, if you spent what would have been to August to September 2020 looking for, I have a headache symptoms or I have a cough, that spiked like a lot. And like we could watch it go up and down and tell how many you could like one of the more accurate predictors of of how many cases of COVID there were, were how many people were searching like cough remedies. Because that's, it just, it tied in. Our
0: version was the Amazon reviews on Yankee Candles.
1: Exactly. The same thing. Like, that's the stuff you're looking for. And obviously we're looking at that. And and some of this stuff is kind of like constant underlying. It's the UK. It's like 20% of all searches are based on what happened in the football last night or what celebrity has done something like. That's a lot of them. But this guy, you kind of start to notice more and more. And it becomes a thing that you are seeing more people talk about, more people talk about, more people talk about. And sometimes they just go away, like, there was a big video that went around and then disappeared. Sometimes they kind of stick around and this guy stuck around. And the problem is, is there's a point at which you have to make a kind of a complicated editorial decision to be like, okay, should we be the people to cover this and be like, Hey, this person everyone's talking about, this is why he's kind of bad. Or this is why he is suddenly popping out. Or this is why this big TikTok challenge that everyone's talking about isn't really a real thing or is dangerous or whatever you might be doing. Because you run the risk of if the first person to it is not the person who goes like, hey, this is kind of nonsense or whatever, then the other person to it is, you know, an overworked journalist in a newsroom that is trying to produce an awful lot of stuff awfully quickly and just says like, hey, Andrew Tate's really popular because of this. And it builds credibility. And then one newsroom sees someone do it, they do the same thing, they do the same thing, and then suddenly you're into this kind of cycle of everyone saying, hey, this person's famous, here's what he said, and you're you're then missing out on it. What that then happens is that kind of bleeds up into places like The Observer, places like The Guardian, places like The New York Times, because they can see the same thing that we can see, but they're obviously thinking about it in a slightly different way. Uh, sorry, not to us, but to like a, 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 a newsroom, typically British, but there's a lot of them around the world as well that are watching the trends and attempting to get traffic from whatever people are searching uh, at that moment.
0: I will say... I think in the UK there's a much bigger emphasis still on this kind of journalism than there is in the U S Th- that this entire thing that you're talking about is just not as common in America as it used to be. No, Now it's mainly just scouring Twitter. Like we, we, like American newsrooms are doing the exact same process, but they're doing it on Twitter. But you guys, I think to this day, I, I, I always kind of laugh when I see it, but like, there'll be like a British journalist to be like, according to Google trends. And it's like, they still have those? Like, like it's yeah. just not as popular.
1: I don't think it's, it's not popular. I think it's less effective. And that's partly because there are a flood of British newsroom doing that work for American newsrooms.
0: Well, you also, you guys love a good poll and you love a good survey. And I think... Well, no, that's, like,
1: that's a different thing.
0: Like, No, hold on, hold on, hold on. What the, the, I think the same British compulsion to argue over YouGov poll results and surveys is is similar with Google Trends data where you guys love kind of like watching silent data accumulate about how you guys use and do and feel things.
1: I don't, no, I don't. I don't really agree with that. I think that's that it, my, is, that's I, my take. it is more of a kind of our media landscape is different, and we have a lot more newspapers, which is the, the big one. We have a lot of national newspapers. That is also in true. the US, you have like I don't know three or something. I think
0: it's like one and a half now. Yeah,
1: right, exactly. Whereas we have a lot of national newspapers, and so it is a it's just a different environment where you, you it is more competitive. We've always said you know British TV is to American newspapers, and American newspapers are to British TV, like they are the same. They have the same kind of status in, in in how things work but on all that aside what that means is that you then get someone like the guardian uh who is going to say okay we're going to do the thing on andrew tate and then they, it feels like it blows up but really what's happening is that they are the person who is is crossing the streams from the google trends data to twitter
0: i see okay well if you don't know what we're talking about <laughs> that's what we should probably <laughs> explain andrew tate he then gets deplatformed. he's like a crazy violent misogynist He's like hooked up with like a bunch of like dark enlightenment MAGA guys who hang out in like Hungary and, and other parts of Eastern Europe. He's now been deplatformed from everywhere except for Spotify. Big surprise there. What's also really interesting, did, do you know about his Hustlers University thing?
1: Okay. So, yes. So, this is the most interesting thing about him yes. is that his, the deplatforming of him has very minimal impact
0: for two reasons. One is Hustlers University and one is TikTok. But so let's start with Hustlers University. Okay.
1: Oh, did you want to? Or you, or you... <laughs> you,
0: you, you Go for it. You were fired up about it. Go for it.
1: Sure. Okay. Basically, the, the, the okay. way that he operates is something I haven't seen before. I can't think of anyone else who's done it. But what he is basically saying and part of the, what he preaches through his Sussler's University thing is that people should share his content for him. Right. I.E., people don't, he does not have a channel. He doesn't, post anything anywhere really like he has
0: not really he's
1: not he's had some but not a huge amount what he instead does is he goes onto other people's channels says a load of misogynistic appalling shit then people rip that and post it on their own channels hashtag it so there's a vast amount of Andrew Tate content but very little from Andrew Tate. So deplatforming him on any one outlet is going to have a essentially negligible effect because the vast amount of stuff that's being seen and shared there is not by him. So taking him right. off doesn't do anything.
0: So I want to preface by saying I, I, my personal opinion, is that Andrew Tate is not a smart person. And nothing he says is interesting. And I personally, my opinion, hate him.
1: Yeah, same.
0: <laughs> and we also covered him very early. Uh, I'll link to it in the show notes this week, but uh, we did a whole, whole episode about how uh, men's rights activist guys, pickup artists, red pill guys were turning the manosphere, this like blob of horrible men on the internet into a pyramid scheme. And we we were very early to that. So I want to congratulate ourselves by noticing that horrible trend very early. So what is interesting about Andrew Tate, I suppose, is that what he is essentially doing is very similar to what Trump does via truth social. Yeah. Where Trump like, posts on Truth Social, which no one sees because no one is on Truth Social, and then a bunch of his fanboys screenshot it and share it to Twitter. And it is this very interesting kind of workaround for deplatforming, and it's one that I'm surprised we have not reckoned with yet. And this sounds extremely cringe, but you remember how, like, in Batman, like, the Joker shows up, and then the Joker goes away, and then there's, like, a bunch of Jokers, like, in Batman Beyond, there's, like, the Joker gang who are all inspired by the Joker? Yes. That's what's happening here. I don't want to say Andrew Tate is a joker. I don't want to say that he's the I don't want to say that I think Andrew Tate is the joker, but it is very similar. So like you can deplatform the man, but you can't deplatform the idea. And the idea is to be a horrible douchebag all over the internet.
1: We actually we actually covered this uh, a few days ago where we spoke to a bunch of teachers who said that they're having a real problem because they keep hearing their pupils talk about this stuff and they are being told by, you know, professional organizations, hey, here are the words you need to watch out for. Here are the kids who may be being well, radicalized. I don't use that word, but uh, like radicalized by people like this and people from this this area, which yeah, it's becoming like a problem because obviously the the people who know it are teenage boys between 13 and 16.
0: Who are, you know, notoriously known as being very smart consumers of media. Yeah. The other piece of this is a technical piece, which I think we should talk about because I think it's not going to end with Andrew Tate, which is so... We've done a lot of episodes, kind of like analyzing how TikTok works. We've been, we did a whole episode, which I'll also put in the show notes, where we like went through like the top charts for TikTok. Yeah, yeah. Based on like all the research I've seen so far, the way TikTok works is kind of the opposite to the way Facebook has worked historically. So, if you want to go viral on TikTok, the best way to do it is to attach yourself to um, a macro trend, because TikTok's algorithm, TikTok's artificial intelligence, it seems to understand linked content so like if you and i use the same song that song will be promoted as a trend and then other users use it and it creates like a trend out of that song you and i do the same dance which has the same hashtag we start trending so instead of focusing on individual creators individual influencers it focuses on macro trends and you become an influencer creator by following those trends yeah uh and this also like kind of lines up with like creators who have like one thing they do in every video because they want like bingeable content. So like there's a guy I really like where he he um he puts different food in alcohol for a week and then he takes a shot of it. Okay. And it's very entertaining. And I've watched like hundreds of his videos. Sure. Andrew Tate's content is operating similarly to a dance challenge. So TikTok's algorithm has clearly identified Andrew Tate as a macro trend because he's popping up in all these videos and people are mentioning him in all these comment sections and hashtags. So it's going to keep promoting them, which then creates an incentive for men's rights activist YouTubers, men's rights activist podcasters, all of these guys, all these red pill theory guys to have Andrew Tate on their show. And then that's reinforced by Hustlers University, which is then doing the affiliate marketing, although that has been shut down, luckily.
1: And it's also, it's also the kind of, it's not even the people who are already like, we're on the same side as you, you are someone we probably know anyway, it is the people who are adjacent to them who are like, here is someone who's popping off, they're popular, I can put them on my show. So they are then introducing them to a new audience and reseeding this trend into a wider a wider group of people.
0: Now, I don't want to get too accelerationist here, but this has kind of like led to a thought of mine, which I'm kind of playing with, and I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure if I believe it yet, but it's like something that I'm kind of wrestling with, which is like, if TikTok does not change, and I don't think it has any incentive to, because like Byte Dance, the company that owns it, Knows that, like at this point, they don't have to do anything they don't want to do. Like, no. they, like, like there's just not enough backbone uh, in Washington to really compel them. It's not going to happen.
1: The only thing that would genuinely change how it operated would be either Apple or Google banning them from their app store. And that would actually be it.
0: It's the only way to do it. So, if that doesn't happen, what I think is very possible and very likely is that more toxic internet content on a macro level like this is going to start and is already seeped in, but it's going to start to seep in more often in more high profile ways. And there's a lot of it. And we saw this with Facebook at its peak where like bad people would go from 4chan to Facebook, share stuff in and all of a sudden you get Pepe the Frog everywhere. Right. Mm. But to moderate TikTok, you essentially have to moderate the entire internet and that's impossible.
1: Yeah. I mean, you have to moderate the entire internet, but you also have to moderate kind of society as well. Cause I think it, it hits a scale and a penetration into different groups that I think is, is, is unprecedented. And I go back to the Johnny Depp stuff with this because the weirdest thing about that was where you would meet people who are like, oh yeah, you're a normal person. I know you I have roughly the same views and stuff. And they'd be like, yeah, Johnny Depp, isn't he being treated awfully? But like, sorry, what happened here? Right. And it was that thing which just broke out of every, every containment that's on the internet. And that, I, I, I agree, yeah, you need to moderate the internet in society because it, it moves across groups so quickly.
0: Yeah, like I saw a graph of uh, global temperatures from uh, 1922 to 2022. (laughs) And it was like this thing where like they're going in and out, going in and out. Did they go down or up?
1: How did did that change?
0: Things are getting hotter. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. but But it's like a process where like I'm moving my hands back and forth to like simulate this like thing, right? Where it's like, it's not always hotter. It's not hotter every year. But the hotters are getting hotter and more extreme and more extreme, right? Yeah. That's what's happening with toxic internet content on TikTok is like the stuff is getting both more toxic and it's spreading further. And this stuff has been there since the beginning. Like, you know, people have been writing like fan fiction about like Ted Kaczynski or uh, yeah, uh tra- serial killers or whatever. Charles like, Manson. There's people love Charles, Charles Manson. Manson. Like there's there's, all, there's been like uh men's rights guys on, on blog spots. Since 2002, like all this stuff has always been there. All of the darkest parts of humanity have always been there. Rotten.com, like all that stuff. But now we have a, uh, uh, not even a central feed, but an artificial intelligence that is personally recommending this stuff to people. And it's run by a company that has like literally zero interest. Like in five years, we are going to miss the days of pulling the like absolutely inhuman robotic Mark Zuckerberg before Congress to yell at him because there's no version of this where we're going to do that with Byte dance Like it's just not going to happen. They don't no. care.
1: <sighs> no, it's tricky. It, it, <clears throat> yeah. I do feel like the next few years are going to be dealing with this.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying not to be too doomer-pilled about it. But at the same time, I am extremely doomer-pilled about it because <laughs> I just, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I suppose it's a lot, the way other countries felt about facebook coming to their country right like that's that's what it is yeah means. yeah probably but it, it is it is it is worrying i think and and Andrew tate you know he's a he's a big dumb doofus and uh i'm glad that he's been kind of removed for now but uh i think he's a he's a thing we're gonna look back on in two years and be like oh yeah that was that was the canary that was a warning yeah yeah that was the canary yeah there was one last thing you wanted to touch on before we ended this week and you said it and I didn't know what you were talking about Yeah, is it lighter than what we're talking about is it a, is it a happy note to end on
1: Um, it's less apocalyptic but grimmer
0: I think is probably the way I put it alright good let's go for it alright sure awesome <laughs>
1: So, about two or three weeks ago, uh, a guy called Carl Anderson published uh, a paper in an academic journal. Uh, the title of that paper was, I am not alone, we are all alone. Uh, colon, using masturbation as an ethnographic method in research on Shota cult- subculture in Japan.
0: Oh, I did see this. This is like the preprint about like yeah. uh, jerking off to hentai, right?
1: Well, it's not just hentai. Because, uh, you know, you're, you're an anime, where a hentai... I'm going to say you're a hentai fan. You're an anime fan. Uh, I'm but, but yeah. at. How would you describe shota?
0: It's not good. It's not. <laughs> it's not like a good thing.
1: Shota is the the male equivalent to uh, what's it called lolicon.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's uh. So it, basically, it's a it's a subgenre of hentai, which is Japanese pornography, but drawn cartoon. Right. So it's a it's it's drawn Japanese pornography focusing on homoerotic relationships between young men and boys which is the uh the the equivalent uh which uh, on the other side is lolly lolly con sometimes you'll see it referred to um these are very controversial subgenres of, of hentai there's lots and lots of discourse about it I will never do an episode dedicated <laughs> to, to talking about them at length because it's just it, there's just no way to win yeah but a lot of it, is like very culturally based in uh, very like uh complicated Japanese censorship laws and sexual repression and all kinds of other topics that like you know what like
1: okay so we're let's just yeah, let's just we're say, good. Okay, we're good. do you think do you think it was a good idea for a guy to publish an academic paper in which he masturbated to this version of hentai uh, as a form of quote unquote doing research
0: <laughs> I mean hey man we all do research differently you know but no, I don't. And this was like a this was like a preprint, right? Like that he just like did it. Like this is not. No, like
1: a, I mean it was it was a preprint. It's like it's not like zero, but preprints are basically anything that is you know. Vaguely, I, what, what I'm
0: wondering is, was his jerking off to hentai peer reviewed? That's what I want. It was not. It was
1: not. It was not peer reviewed, but it was agreed to be published, uh, and it was done with the agreement of a supervisor.
0: What 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 academic uh, facility did this come out of?
1: The University of Manchester.
0: Is that a good school?
1: Yeah. It's like a, a perfectly acceptable school, what well, it was. But yeah, he, he basically, oh God, it's, not, it's, it's kind of grim. Because he basically, he basically claimed he, that he'd hit a wall in his research and therefore uh, he wanted to experience the data collection firsthand. And it is, it is an extended detailing of how he, of his masturbating to a pornographic a comics about children. Yes, it was absolutely insane, and it was also. I mean, the kind of the the, the knock on of what was quite interesting about it was that a bunch of right wing culture war-y people, but not like the the really cranky ones, like the ones who are just a little bit on that on that side, tweeted it and was like, "This is pretty grim. This shouldn't exist. Why does this happen? And intuitively, a bunch of people kind of piled in. And were like. Uh, this is you are fighting with the humanities again, and then a load of academics. Then you know, five minutes later, it was like I've deleted this tweet. I've read the paper. Clearly, this is, this is wrong. Yeah, which yeah, I thought was quite. I don't know. It was. It was. It's one of those things where where it was like it really highlighted a divide. Everyone was intuitively going in on sides without ever checking, and this like it happens on. Every way around, like there are a bunch of times when, you know, people on the, on the left, you know, go in on something and people on the right intuitively defend it. And then a few minutes later, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that because they then read it, which I, I think is interesting. But at the same time, like fucking hell,
0: I think not everything fits in a culture war binary. And I think one of those things that we can probably all agree doesn't fit within the culture war binary is the validity of academic studies based entirely around jerking off to hentai. I think we can just isolate that. Ooh,
1: hold on, hold on, hold on. Not just, not just jerking off to Hentai. Only his own jerking off to Hentai. It wasn't like he got like a thousand people and been like, hey, I'm going to collect a load of your inf- what your thoughts about this are. He was just like, I'm going now,
0: to. Now, Luke, <laughs> would you say that would be better or worse if he had done that? I think better. <laughs> I'm unclear. I
1: can, I can see it both ways. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I can as well.
1: Like, at least one way there is an approach at having a science, some sort of scientific validity, validity to do it. Not that ethnographic research is not valid otherwise. But if you're going to do ethnographic research, there's like 12 other people, I don't know. Yeah. The science is bad, and that's annoying, and the fact that he, this is the thing that he's chosen to focus the science on is bad and
0: also annoying. Yeah, I agree, and I don't ever want to think about that ever again. So I'm glad that we've we, I think we've, I think we did it. Cool. Hey, Luke. To distract ourselves from that, have you consumed any content to stay sane this week or in the last month?
1: I've a lot of content, actually. I'm good to talk about content. What would you like to talk about? I can talk about uh, She-Hulk. I can talk about Game of Thrones. Have you seen the Game of Thrones?
0: Let's focus on She-Hulk and Game of Thrones. Okay. But let's also give ourselves some space to ramble about other types of content we watched on the brain. All right. Awesome. Okay. So you can check that out at thecontentminds.com. You can sign up. It's for paying subscribers only. It's good. It's fun. Uh, We're going to be back on track, and I assume spending the next several weeks talking about both Game of Thrones and She-Hulk.
1: I'm so so excited to talk a lot about Game of Thrones again. I'm
0: very excited to talk about Game
1: of Thrones I kind of of was like, I was like, I'm going to hate this. And now it's back, I'm just like, yes, awesome. I want to talk about a load of people whose names have an A and an E in them just constantly. I had
0: to fight... I had to fight not to text you about it when I watched it because I was like, <laughs> I want to save it. So let's go do that. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for waiting through the break and letting us have some time off. Like, like we said, we were not allowed to podcast at Luke's wedding. So I hope you enjoyed the Dead Platform Summer Mini Series.
1: I, I mentioned that uh, as a joke in my speech at the wedding, which I thought was. Yeah,
0: I don't. I wouldn't. Have done, I wouldn't. I'm <laughs> not going to mention if I ever get married. I'm not mentioning my internet life in this speech. I don't want those two things to combine.
1: Well, my my a plug.
0: Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, I saw people pulling out their, 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 their little Spotify app to download it. <laughs> but yeah, thank you guys for waiting. Thank you to seven Morris for editing this week's show. Uh, and thank you for, uh, for, t- for editing all of the, the mini series episodes too. Yeah. Thank uh, you. We, we cranked those out in a, in a couple of days and he was great with that. So thank you guys for listening. Head on over to thecontentminds.com to listen to us talk about She-Hulk and Game of Thrones, and we will see you over there. And those of you we don't see there, we will see next week. Uh, Okay, bye-bye.